Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. Our text today is Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 14. So turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Matthew 9, 14. And while you're getting there, uh, let's remind ourselves of the context. Where are we? What's the setting? Jesus is at a party. You remember he called Matthew to be his follower. Matthew was a tax collector And Matthew has been a follower of Jesus for like minutes, and he immediately becomes an evangelist. Do you remember? Jesus, if you remember last week, Jesus calls crazy people, right? Unlikely people, the the least likely of followers. Jesus calls crazy people, and what do those crazy people do? They invite all their crazy friends, right? Jesus invites crazy people who invite all their crazy friends, and that's what Matthew did. He invited all the tax collectors and sinners to this party to what? Jesus invites crazy people who invite all their crazy friends into the crazy, amazing love of God. The unlikely love of God, the surprising love of God, the we get his grace and mercy when we deserved wrath and condemnation kind of love of God. So they're at this party. It's a great party. Can you imagine? You hear it? Music's going. Yeah. Yeah. DJ Peter on the ones and twos. Okay. They're having a great time. Not everybody's having a great time, are they? Nah, the Pharisees are there and they're not enjoying the feast. Do you remember last week? They have a question. They want to know, why does your teacher, why does Jesus eat with all these tax collectors and sinners? Well, interesting, and Jesus, of course, answers that. That's last week's message. If you missed it, you can go and look. But, but now, in verse 14, it's not just the Pharisees. It turns out there's another group of people. Look at verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? What's going on here? Who are the disciples of John? You remember who came before Jesus? the greatest MC in the history of the world, the one who was going to bring the Messiah onto the world stage, it was John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist came and preached repentance, and he got quite a following. These followers became what they called any followers. They called them disciples. So the disciples of John are interesting. The disciples of John are actually pro-Jesus. Remember remember what JTB said, uh, John the Baptist? He said, like, listen, I've I've got to decrease so that Christ can increase. Jesus is right. He is the Messiah. So the disciples of John, their question, unlike the Pharisees, their question was coming from a good place. But what's their question? What, what do they want to know is what? Not, the Pharisees want to know why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners. They want to know why is he like always eating? Why is Jesus always partying? That's what they want to know. I mean, isn't the life of Christianity a strict thing? Isn't it an austere? John's disciples lived a life of strict discipline. And it doesn't say the disciples of Jesus never fasted, but what was going on here? Well, the the followers of John, over time, if you look in, in fasting in the Old Testament, there's only one time the Lord commands the people to fast. It was once a year on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees and the the religious people of the day, they said, well, that's not enough. We've got to be stricter than that. And so they built these these traditions around fasting. And so they would fast twice a week. On a Monday and a Thursday, sun up to sundown, they would fast. Not eat, not eat food, Monday and Thursday. In fact, that's why in Luke's gospel, when it says a Pharisee and a sinner went to the temple to pray, one of the Pharisees' prayers, thank you, God, that I'm not like these sinners. I fast twice a week. That's probably what he was talking about. Well, the disciples of John are into that. They, they, they do that twice a week fast. And the Pharisees wondered why Jesus is eating with sinners. Jesus, uh, John's disciples wondered, why are you eating at all? In fact, I can't prove this, but I wonder if Matthew threw this party on a Thursday. 
And so there, they're all partying and everything. And John's disciples are going, I, 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 I don't get it. They're doing, this doesn't fit into our system. The Pharisees are like, you eating with sinners doesn't fit into our system. And John's disciples, though it's coming from a better place than the Pharisees, it's still a heartfelt question. This doesn't fit into our rigid system. This doesn't fit into the religious traditions we've built up. Why are you, eat, why are you eating? Why, why don't you guys enter into this strict fasting? And Jesus does something. I know we have many, many teachers, many educators in our church. Isn't this great? Isn't Jesus the, the greatest teacher? He does what so many of you do so well. He knows to answer that question with a question. Why doesn't this fraction reduce? Why do you think it doesn't reduce? Because it's a mixed numeral. I, I don't know. I, there's no math in the sermon. I, but, but, right? He gets this question, why do your disciples not fast all the time like we do? Jesus answers, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now today, we call a bridegroom just a groom. They call it a, a, a the same thing. In, in, in Bible language, that's bridegroom. But when, when they say bridegroom, you need to know, we're talking about, you know, the nervous guy who's told not to lock his knees, that guy? That's bridegroom back then. We just call, we just call him groom, either one. So I love this, I love this. He doesn't say, when John asks, when, when John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples say, why didn't Jesus fast all the time? Why don't you guys enter into this strict discipline of fasting? Jesus doesn't say because fasting is bad and wrong. No, 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 no. He doesn't say it's bad to fast. He doesn't say Christians will never fast. He says there's a time and a place for everything and it's not the appropriate time for fasting. Why not? pause. I won't spend a long time on this. It's kind of an aside. So we'll, we'll, we'll knock this out. We'll get right back because it's not the main point, but we do need to have everybody on the same page. What is biblical fasting? Uh, and so just briefly, here's a definition of biblical fasting. If you want to write this down, take a picture of it. We'll just, like I said, we'll just kind of touch on this and move on. But biblical fasting is abstaining from food for a set period of time for the purposes of drawing near to God. Got it? Simple definition. We've preached sermons on this. You, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of you are up to speed on this. So, uh, some people might say, well, I, you know, my health won't allow me to fast from food, but I'm going to give up television or I'm going to give up something else. Th that's fine. Biblical fasting, though, is abstaining from food. You take water, but you abstain from food for a set period of time, right? And some of you are like, man, I do this, man, I do this all the time. Like every night when I go to bed, I begin a fast that lasts all through the night. And I break the fast at a meal I call breakfast. And I'm knocking this out. I'm doing it. And, and that, that's true. But biblical, the purpose is not sleeping. The purpose is what? To draw near to God. Got it? Draw near to God. The purpose of fasting. Here's what it's not. Fasting is not a Christian diet plan. Uh, it's not a, and it's not a means of earning God's approval. God is not in heaven with a sticker chart like we had in Sunday school where he's giving out gold stars for everybody who's fasting. You don't need to earn God's approval. That was settled on the cross of Christ. See? So it's to draw near, to, it's not a showy thing to impress other people. And, it, and it's technically, technically, it's not even a New Testament command for Christians. You are not, if you are a Christian, you are not obligated to fast. You are not commanded. And yet, and yet, Christians do it. They do it all the time. Why? Because even though it's not a command in the New Testament, Jesus assumes his followers will do it. Why? To draw near to God, to mourn over sin, to repent from sin. So what, what is Jesus saying when he says, can the wedding guests, look at verse 15, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? What's he saying? He's going, guys, the appropriate time for fasting is to draw near to God. You guys are crying out because you want to draw near to God. The whole point of fasting is drawing near to God. But the reason my disciples don't fast is 
I'm here. How much nearer can you get when Jesus, God in human flesh, is there with you? You don't have to draw near to God. Ta-da! I'm here. It's a brilliant answer, isn't it? Makes so much sense. In fact, he, why does he use this image? It's a weird image to call himself the, the groom. It seems like an odd way for him to refer to himself. He does it on purpose for two reasons. One, it's to remind the followers of John the Baptist that John the Baptist uses this very metaphor. In other words, they should have known. Guys, guys, the reason my disciples aren't fasting, there'll be a time when they fast. The reason they don't have to fast is you fast to draw near to God. But I'm here. In fact, it was your own prophet. John the Baptist said this. Do you remember? He said it back in John 3. Do you remember this imagery? This is John's quote. This is, this is what John the Baptist said. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, this is John the Baptist, I'm not the Messiah. I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He, meaning Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. What's he talking about? They came to him and they were like, hey, JTB, Jesus is getting more followers than you. Jesus is getting more famous than you. What are you going to do about that? And John the Baptist was like, are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? He's the groom. I'm the best man. He's the groom who came for his bride, the church. I'm just the best man. I'm not supposed to be celebrated. Jesus needs to get more and more famous, and I need to get less and less famous and step off into the background. The best man's job is to get that groom safely to the I do. Get them married and sent off, right? He's got to help. The best man, you know, help plan a bachelor party, whatever it is you want to do. But your job is, man, you got to get that guy married. That's your job, right? John the Baptist is going, my job is to bring him onto the stage. And after that, I'm fading out. He's the groom. That's the first reason he says it. The other reason he uses this bridegroom imagery, one one more time, uh, can you put that verse up, 15? And he said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom's with them? This is a little granular, but I think it's worth it. Uh, Did you know the Old Testament never once refers to the Messiah, the sent one of God, the anointed one, never refers to the Messiah as the groom. But it, it does refer to someone as the groom over and over in the Old Testament. In Hosea 2, and let me think, I, uh, I wrote down Jeremiah 2, Isaiah 54, Ezekiel 16. You can look up all these Old Testament references. There is someone who's referred to as the groom. God's people is called the bride. God himself in the Old Testament is called the groom. Yahweh God has the title groom for his people. So imagine with me, if you will, what you must have thought when you hear Jesus say, the groom, who you, as a Pharisee, you've lived your whole life thinking groom. Okay, that equals God himself. Groom means Yahweh God. And Jesus says, yep, I'm the groom. I'm here. (gasps) You just called yourself, basically called yourself God. Jesus is like, yep. That's either blasphemy or that's gospel good news. So the reason, so, 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 so he tells John, listen, the reason, the reason that we're, you, you think we're partying all the time and we're feasting is because you're fasting to draw near to God. But God has drawn near to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Now listen, there will be a day when they fast. There will be a day when my followers fast. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Now what's he talking about there? It's not too hard to figure out, right? He's saying, there'll come a day when, when I stretch out my arms on Calvary's cross and I'm crucified and taken from them, they will await my return. He's talking about us. 
We're the time when Christians will fast because we long to draw near to God. We long for that day when the groom, like a groom coming for the bride, Christ returns for his church. Until that day, we will fast. While Jesus is there with them, man, that's feasting season. That's feasting time. So that's great. You button it up, and, and there it is. And that, I mean, that's how Jesus is. Like John's disciples asked a really heartfelt question. It wasn't like the Pharisees. They're coming from a good place, and he answers them. It's like, check. And now everybody's like, the story could end there, right? Because it's like, okay, talk to the Pharisees, talk to the disciples of John, tax collectors and sinners. But, and this is the way with Jesus. With Jesus, you always get more than you bargained for. And so Jesus, I think, now realizes at this party, the music stopped. He kind of got everybody's attention. And you got the Pharisees who are like, I can't believe you eat with these sinners and tax collectors. You got the disciples of John like, hey, you know what? I, I kind of make sense. I, I think I will have some food, right? The sinners and tax collectors are like, well, we, just, we eat all the time. We don't know, right? And he's like, it's like Jesus is like, hey, I realize what I'm doing here. Jesus is saying, I'm breaking all y'all's categories. It seems like each of you have a rigid box for who you think the Messiah is and what you think if God ever showed up on earth, this is what he'd be like. Some of you sinners and tax collectors, you think all you know about God is that he's ready to just judge you. And even when you think about God, you think he's angry. And by me partying here with you, it's like you're realizing something. Wait a minute, I'm not, God's not mad at me. He, he loves me. Yes, he's gonna transform me. Yes, but, but he loves me just as I am. That's blowing your minds. Some of you Pharisees, it's blowing your minds because you've divided the world to good people, bad people, and I'm just telling you there's lost people and I'm the Savior. There's only one category, sinners, and there's only one Savior, Jesus. And to John the Baptist, I'm blowing your minds with this stuff. And so I think he takes a moment and he gives two of the most famous illustrations for Jesus' ministry. What, what, what is Jesus' ministry all about? He gives two illustrations, and they're so famous that even if people who don't know the Bible, they know these illustrations. They, they, they've heard of this in common English parlance. Famous imagery. Have you heard of them? Look, verse 16. He's like, now that I have everybody's attention, let me tell you what, it's, let me tell you what the mission of Messiah is all about. I'm blowing up categories. Here's what he says. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Gives a second illustration. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. No, new, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Got it? Two images. A garment with a patch on it and new wine into old wineskins. Now the garment and the patch, listen, I get this immediately. I, I was a little child in the 1980s, and it was a glorious time. And uh, to the children who are here, you won't understand. Growing up as a child in the 80s, we had things like video games and Top Gun, whereas today you have well, video games and Top Gun, so it's a bad example. But uh, the one thing, our fashion was a little bit different. I, I don't know how to put this... Um, and mom, if you're watching this, I appreciate so much. You know, you, you got, thank you, thank you um, for everything. But our fashion was more frugal. Can we just say it that way? It was more frugal. And so we didn't have like, like designer jeans. We had jeans that you'll grow into. Is anybody like me? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so they would purchase these, these really stiff denim jeans at the beginning of the school year, right? And I, I grew a lot. And they would be like four or five or like six inches too long. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So you're walking, walking around. You don't want them just flopping around. 
And I gotta give credit where credit is due. I heard a pastor named Gary Hamrick. He's out of Virginia. He used this illustration as well as an illust- a key illustration I'll use later. He made me think of this. He grew up roughly the same time and made the same comment that like you, you would roll the jeans up, right? And so you'd have these rolls and you're walking around with your rolled up jeans. And then as you age and grow into the jeans, you would roll them down. But of course, by then, there's this nasty faded rings. And you could, t- like telling the age of a felled oak tree, you could determine the age of your pants by counting rings. <laughs> so you're walking around with these, you know. Well, anyway, this, uh, we would take these jeans and we would, and I know this will blow your minds. We would, um, kids, I know this is going to be hard to understand. We would get holes in our jeans due to something called playing outside. I know, I know. And we would play outside, we would get these holes in the jeans, and so what would happen, I know, I know, it's, it's a revolutionary concept, right? Because now, you're like, when you see people with holes in their jeans, can you imagine, how'd that happen? Oh no, I paid for these. Like, what, really? There was no bear attack? Like, nothing? You just, that's incredible. But we got holes in our jeans, and what would, am I the only one? What would mom do when you got a hole in the jeans? She would take this waxy iron-on patch. Okay, some of you are nodding, yeah. And, and, and iron that thing on there. So now you got this big waxy patch hanging out on your knee and you, the, the rings from the rolls. You're around. We're not homeless, but we look homeless. So the, then what happened to that nasty waxy patch? After At first it'd be okay, right? But then after a few washings, it begins to peel back. So now you not only have the hole in your jeans, but you've got this disgusting, gummy, sticky, waxy goo all around it. It's even worse than before. So when Jesus is like, nobody takes an unshrunk cloth, it's going to be worse than before. I'm like, Jesus, I'm with you. Like, I get this one 100%. Imagine in Jesus' day, it was even worse. You didn't have a closet full of clothes. You didn't have a drawer full of clothes. If you had a shirt, that was your shirt. Like, a shirt. Can you imagine getting dressed that day? What should I wear? Clothing or not? Like, yeah, that's it. Like, you, your shirt is all you. So you would take that. Imagine it's made of lamb's wool. And imagine every time on laundry day, you give the shirt to mom and takes it down to the, you know, the, the river. And she's uh, beating out all that stain and dirt and scrubbing it. What happens? That wool begins to shrink. It shrinks a little more. It shrinks a little more. Until it gets to a point where that garment can shrink no more. It's got no more elasticity. It's got no more give to it. It's, it's shrunk to its final state. And then you get a tear in it. What do you do? We got that little hole in the garment. You take a pair of scissors and you cut a nice square around it so it's got a good clean edge. Jesus says, can you imagine? Everybody's like, never. Can you imagine taking an unshrunk patch of cloth and stitching it? Oh, make a nice good seam all the way around that square. And get that nice unshrunk piece of cloth. Everybody's going, that's terrible. That's a terrible plan. You don't just insert that. Why? Because then as you begin washing over time, the, 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 the garment itself has no more give to it. But the patch still has a lot of give and shrinking. So when the patch begins to shrink, it pulls away at that seam. And now you've got an even bigger rip in your garment. You've got a bigger mess than when you started with. Everybody goes, so you don't, just, you don't just patch up to something that's lost its elasticity and that is rigid and inflexible. You don't just put a flexible patch on it. He gives a second illustration, same point. Nobody puts new wine into an old wineskin. They didn't ferment wine the way uh, modern techniques do, and you, you see it in bottles. They would use animal skins. Can you imagine? It sounds gross, but you take a, a goat skin, and you, you've got this, this big this sewn up all together, and you pour in the new wine, right? And so that before the ferment process, the grape juice and the yeast and whatever ingredients you need, and you sew that up, and then what happens? Well, fermentation. 
The fermentation process is really a living, growing thing. The chemical process, as the yeast is breaking down those those grapes, the fermentation process is effervescent. It gives off a, a CO2 gas that would expand the animal skin. And that's actually okay at this point because the new skin would still have stretch. It would have elasticity. It wouldn't be rigid. It wouldn't be inflexible. It still had some give. And so it would continue to stretch and stretch until it would harden as that, as that fermentation process expands the new wine into old wine, the, 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 the skin itself would harden into its final shape, and there it's good for exactly what it is. It's storing the old wine. It's rigid and it's inflexible. What Jesus is saying, can you imagine some winemaker saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna save a little money here, and he, he, he gets rid of the, the old wine, and he's got this hardened cask at this point, this hardened animal skin, and he goes, you know what, I'm gonna save a little money. Instead of using a brand new animal skin, I'm just going to pour new wine into this old skin that's hardened into this position, and I'll, uh, I'll begin the fermentation process that way. For a day or two, you might not notice, but as that expands and as that gets, there's, no there's no more give, there's no more elasticity, Jesus says quite naturally what? Disaster. The wineskin bursts open, and he says you lose both the wineskin and you've lost all the wine. What's his point? Something dynamic something moving, something alive, cannot just be inserted into something rigid and inflexible. It's like Jesus was telling the Jews of his day, there's all these man-made legalistic traditions about fasting and about a lot of other things. And the problem is, I, Jesus, won't fit into your man-made legalistic, rigid, inflexible categories. Let me say it like this. You cannot put Jesus into old, inflexible, man-made religious systems of the Pharisees explode what not you know you can imagine the pharisees asking why why do you heal on the sabbath jesus we we think that if you do healing that's a little bit too close to work and work is a little bit too close to violating the sabbath and jesus says new wine and old wine skins he heals on the sabbath and it bursts their categories it just blew open their traditions why don't your why don't your followers do the proper ritualistic hand washing jesus yeah yeah, they don't, uh, it turns out what, it's on what's inside that defiles a man, not what's outside. <laughs> Categories blown open. Why, why, why do you eat with sinners, Jesus? We like to wall off and stay separate from sinners. Yeah, actually, it's just one category. All y'all sinners, and I'm the Savior. <laughs> Categories blown open. New wine, trying to be poured into old wineskins. It doesn't work. What's the point? Here's the point for the original audience. This is the point. If it were being preached, if I were a preacher in the first century, this was his point to the Jewish audience of his day. Jesus is not just a patch for an old system. He brings a whole new system. He's not just a patch on the old covenant. He, brings a whole, he inaugurates what's called the new covenant. In fact, if you ever wonder as you read the gospels, if you ever wonder why did the religious authorities get so angry at Jesus that they eventually killed him? In a way, this is what it came down to. Jesus wouldn't fit into their rigid traditional legalistic systems and they wanted to hold on to their system more than they wanted Jesus in fact if Jesus had agreed just to be sort of a patch on the old system they'd have loved him he'd have been no problem but he insisted on a whole new system now what does that have to do with us the exact same thing is true of your life let me explain if you've been saved or if you're considering being saved, you may not think of your old way of life as a religious system, but it really is. Think about it. 
Before you got saved, you had a way of doing things. You had a particular way of thinking about things. You had a certain way you spent your money. You, have a certain, you had a certain way you raised your kids. You had a certain way of how you spent your time. You had a certain worldview. That's a system of life. That's a religious system. In fact, if you, if you take out the word system and add the word lifestyle, that's the application for today. Jesus isn't a patch for an old religious system or to apply to us an old lifestyle. He brings a whole new lifestyle. That's it. That's what I came to tell you today. Jesus cannot just be inserted as a convenient patch and keep your old lifestyle. That's like trying to put new wine in an old wineskin. That's like trying to put an unshrunk piece of cloth on a shrunk garment. It ain't gonna work and it's gonna make a bigger mess of everything. Jesus cannot be an add-on. Jesus cannot be a patch. To use software terminology, Jesus is not an app. He brings a whole new operating system. It won't run on your old system. You see? He isn't just a patch for an old lifestyle. He brings a whole new lifestyle. Let's see if we can illustrate this and we'll be done. Um, I, uh, it's funny, I was, I was talking to uh, Pastor Scott about today and he, we were just talking, like, yeah, you know, it's parent-child dedication. And we've got all these babies. It's, it's just so great. And he said, well, what are you preaching on? And I was like, I'm preaching on um, new wine being poured into old wineskins. And he was like, that's perfect. That is the perfect text for a baby dedication. I was like, I know. Why? Well, I, I, don't, I don't see the connection at all. And he immediately saw the connection. Uh, he's right. He's like, Tom, new wine into old wineskins. You can't just add Jesus into your old lifestyle. He's like, that's perfect. Are you kidding? For all these parents? To anyone who's ever your first baby, if anyone's ever thought, we intend to keep our current lifestyle and we'll just toss a baby into the mix, we will be able to keep our current lifestyle and just add a baby. We're not gonna change anything. What will happen? The new wineskin will burst, won't it? Won't it? It won't work. It, this is the new birth. You've been born again by the Holy Spirit. This is a new lifestyle by which you can live by grace in the free and easy rhythms of his grace. And you're trying to cram that into your old way of life. It won't work. You cannot say, I'm gonna receive Jesus, but I'm gonna make him Lord a little bit. If he's Lord at all, he's Lord of all. That means he now owns everything. That's a whole new way to think about how you spend your money. That's a whole new way to think about how you spend your time. If you say, I want Jesus to be my priority, but I got lots of priorities. You don't need a Bible. You need a dictionary. Look up priority. There can only be one. That's like saying, I got many first place winners. No, you don't. No, you don't. First place means first place. If he's priority number one, he's priority number two, uh, priority number one, and that means everything else is number two. Does that make sense? He can't just be added into your old lifestyle. You can't say, I'm not gonna change anything. I'm just gonna add a little bit of Jesus. I'll give him a little Sunday, the occasional Wednesday night, but otherwise, I don't have to change anything. He can't just be a patch on an old lifestyle. He brings a brand new lifestyle. I, I, I was so touched, this, uh, this has been several years, but there was this rapper who um, made a profession of faith in Christ. And the world was kind of shocked. And so he went on all the, uh, the morning news networks, wanted to interview him. And I remember this one reporter kind of snarkily asked him, so I guess now, like, de describe your music, he said. Are you now, do you now consider yourself a Christian rapper? I'll never forget the guy's answer. He doesn't hesitate. He goes, man, I'm a Christian everything. I was like, yes and amen. That's exactly right. If the reporter had asked me, I would have hemmed and hauled. I'd have been like, I don't like to be labeled and my genre of music can't. 
No, he was like, what are you talking about? This is not one part of my life. He's my Lord. He gets everything. I'm a Christian everything. It's a whole new lifestyle. Young people, it's got to be so tough. You know, there's so much pressure on young people. And if you're not careful, it happens in adulthood too. You will start to become like two different people based on who you're with. You'll be like church guy when you're with your church friends. But then you'll be like, worldly guy when you're with your, your worldly friends. But that, that doesn't work. That's like just trying to put a patch on an old lifestyle. Jesus came to bring a brand new lifestyle. Again, I give credit to Gary Hamrick uh, for this uh, uh, illustration, but to try to do both, it, it, it doesn't honor God. And it's like new wine being poured into an old wineskin. It's not going to work. And so I was trying to, looking for helpful ways to illustrate this. And so I have two of my like favorite beverages here. I love both of these beverages so much. Uh, this is cold brew coffee. It may not be your jam, but I, like, I love cold brew coffee. It's delicious. And this is orange juice. Delicious. <clears throat> They're both delicious. And let's say that the, let's say for illustration purposes, that the cold brew coffee represents your old lifestyle before you came to know Christ. And this will be after you've come to know Christ. Let, let's say that your old lifestyle, both the orange juice and both the cold brew coffee are, are delicious. And your old lifestyle, mmm, tasty. Uh, now, you may think that sounds sacrilegious. That sounds almost unbiblical. Uh, uh, the preacher at First Baptist said your life before Christ was tasty? Yep. Because <laughs> you're kidding yourself if you're not. I mean, how sanctimonious do you have to be to say, well, before I came to know Christ, every single second of my life was sheer misery? Was it? I mean, if you try to convince your lost friends, you should come to faith in Jesus Christ because you're miserable all the time. They're going to say, no, I'm not. In fact, for a season, sin is pleasurable. That's the point. Hey, they wouldn't call it temptation if it wasn't tempting. And for a season, for a season, that's how life is. Listen, before I come to know Christ, I've got this lifestyle where I don't really have to answer to anybody. Mm, tasty. I can, uh, I can uh, uh, give my money or be generous with my money or not, right? The, Tasty. I, th- th- that's good to me. I, for a season anyway. Now, yeah, I may have moments and I may have some things where late at night I have some questions. But think about it. I, to lie and not really have to feel that guilty if it gets me ahead. Any sexual ethic that I want to come under as long as there's consent anytime, anywhere. It doesn't, mm, this, this is my old lifestyle. See? It's good. At least from the perspective of temporarily offering a good Pleasurable lifestyle. But then, then came that day. Oh, happy day. You came to faith in Christ. OJ, only Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so good. So good. What's better than this? And when you came to faith in Christ, do you remember? Oh, man, how sweet. How sweet. Mm. Reading scripture, I can't get enough. They're so good. Worshiping with my brothers and sisters, mm, so good. I wish every day were Sunday. I just want to be in his presence. I want to worship God, being around God. Sunday school? <laughs> Amen, Scott? Chug Sunday school. Yeah. Love it. Can't, cannot get away from, so I love it. Just love being in his presence. Mm. Love being with the Lord. It's awesome. 
So your new lifestyle in Christ is so good. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. What's the problem? And I hope you see where I'm going with this. The problem is when Christians think, you know, I love Jesus, but I kind of miss my old lifestyle. I wonder, maybe I could take my old lifestyle and just sort of, maybe I could just insert just a little bit of Jesus in my old lifestyle. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Ah! It's awful and gross. I did it so you'd remember. Because once a youth minister, always a youth minister, but I cannot. Oh. Jesus cannot be inserted. So what, why did I do that? What's my point? My, <laughs> it's awful. It's awful, but it's not going to kill me. But trying to insert Jesus into your old lifestyle might be exactly what's killing some of you. It might be the reason you can't sleep at night. It might be the reason you're faced with all this anxiety that God, it's terrible, <laughs> that God never intended you to have. And it is terrible. And it's leaving you with this low-grade anger and this low-grade fever. Just let it go. Why? Hey, you, you, you need a whole new lifestyle. Jesus is not just a patch on an old lifestyle. He comes to bring a whole new lifestyle. You say, Tom, you give me any how-tos? You give me, give me any tips? I mean, I've got, you've got my attention. Some of you right now are facing a decision. Some of you right now, in this moment, this is a word from God to you directly, like he's speaking right at you. He's saying, listen, child, I love you. And this decision you're facing, you know in your heart, one of them is just trying to take Jesus and dump him in the old lifestyle. The other is a brand new wineskin. And it's a living and active being led by the Holy Spirit kind of obedience. And it's the life you know you need. You've got to surrender. You've got to give it over. You say, what does that look like? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And Paul gets so specific because he loves his people and he wants to help them. And, that, and, and by extension, he loves us and he wants to help us. So he says in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives you a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. He's saying you've got to grieve the loss of these things. You can't go back to the cold brew and you certainly don't want the mix, okay? You, 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 moderation, half measures avail nothing. It's got to, you've got to be done. Put to death those things and you've got to grieve the loss of it. I am no longer the guy who does these things. I'm no longer the lady who does these things. Those things belong to my earthly nature and they're dead. And look what he says in verse seven. And that's your old wineskin. You... You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You, you don't need it anymore. It's going it's to burst. It's, it's not going to work to put the living and active, alive Holy Spirit inside a life that still wants to walk in darkness. So now, you must rid yourselves also of such things as these. Anger, where does anger come from? The heart. Rage, where does, heart, where does rage come from? The heart. Malice, where does malice come from? The heart. Slander, where does slander come from? The heart. And filthy language, where does that come from? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying, that's gotta go. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. See that? Take off, put on, old, new which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, that stuff's so good. Until what? Until somebody tests you. It's so easy to be kind and patient until somebody, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, has hurt your feelings. So what do you do? Next verse, bear with each other and forgive. Forgive one another. And if you don't, oh, if you don't, don't make me do it again. But to say somebody's hurt me and I can't get over it, it's, it's old life mixed that bear with one another. And if any of you have a grievance, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. And that'll hold them together. Binds them all together in perfect unity. Musicians are going to come, but can we just, I mean, who, amen to that kind of lifestyle. Right? That, that's what we want, isn't it? I mean, it, it, to think like, oh, yes, I, that's what I want. I want this new lifestyle. That, that, like, that's clothing that's worthy. of. That's a wineskin that's worthy of the living, breathing Holy Spirit inside of me, guiding me and leading me. That, that, that's fruit of the Spirit stuff. And that's got real nutrients. Man, I, that vitamin C, I just, I feel my immune system getting stronger right now, right? There's something about living uh, by the Spirit. I want more of that. And, I, and I, I think I get there by realizing that clothed with humility, dearly, what is it? Holy and dearly loved. The verse is holy and dearly loved. That's who you are. So don't try to make Jesus a patch. Jesus isn't a patch for an old lifestyle. He's here to make all things new. Let's pray together. God, you showed us perfect love in Jesus Christ who never allowed himself to be crammed into the religious systems and the legalistic traditions of men. And as the Pharisees opposed him year after year of his ministry and day after day, as the religious leaders of the day opposed him, they eventually sought to crucify him. And there, on the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, thank you for offering up your son who was ripped like a garment. He was pierced for our transgressions like a wineskin bursting at the seams. His blood flowed red at Calvary's cross. And he did it for us and our salvation. Oh, thank you, God, for Jesus, who had the courage, who had the, the perfect righteousness, never to bow to the religious leaders of his day, the traditions, the man-made legalism. And thank you, God, that he offers that same freedom to every follower. Thank you, God, for freeing us from a lifestyle that we often are tempted to return to. God, grant to us that we be clothed with this new nature. And thank you, God, that Jesus is not just a patch but he brings a whole new lifestyle. Grant to us that we might live into this new lifestyle. In Jesus' name, amen.